Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Harvin here with you. There's a couple of things that I wanted to just lay on the table and have a conversation with you about. The stock market collapsed this morning. I think it was 7% was when they hit the circuit breakers on the S&P and paused trading for 15 minutes. It's down around 5% right now, which is uh, 1,350 uh, points. You know, basically the market never should have got as high as it was. It got as high as it was because the Fed was engaging in stimulative activity during a time that we weren't in recession. And they've been doing that for three, four years now. And it's just, I mean, if you look at 20 and 30 year pictures of the stock market, graphs of the stock market, you see how unusual this market is right now. Something I've been warning about for some time. But there's also, I mean, this morning, Donald Trump, honest to God, tweeted a picture of himself playing a violin, or he retweeted it. It was Dan Scavino who, who tweeted it. He retweeted it, saying something like, I don't know what this means, but I think it's something good, or words to that effect. He, honest to God, tweeted a picture of himself playing the violin. I mean, it's like this morning he's trying to tell us in the most obvious way possible that he doesn't give a damn if America burns to the ground. He also doesn't want people from an infected cruise ship because he, quote, likes the numbers where they are. Those numbers shouldn't go up because of, quote, something that's not our fault. I mean, the bottom line here, Trump doesn't give a damn about you and me. Never would unless we inherited a pile of money and could afford to buy one of his condos. Then we could join Mar-a-Lago and become one of his policy advisors, like the three guys down there at Mar-a-Lago who are running the VA with absolutely no oversight or responsibility for the uh, outcome. Seriously, there are three guys at Mar-a-Lago who are running the Veterans Administration. You can Google it. I mean, you know, America is on fire and our leader is fiddling and tweeting pictures of himself fiddling. What could possibly go wrong? Right. What could possibly go wrong? Meanwhile, South Korea has tested over 180,000 people for the coronavirus. America has, the CDC has tested 500 people in our entire country. There probably, you know, there are a few other places that are testing. We've probably got a few thousand who've been tested. But because of Trump's incompetence, our nation is completely unprepared for a friggin' pandemic. And yes, that's what, that's the, you know, CNN this morning started officially calling it a pandemic. A world, pandemic means a worldwide epidemic. You know, because of Trump's incompetence, our nation is completely unprepared for this pandemic. But there are some small steps that states, cities, and businesses could take without Trump. For example, in China right now, when you walk, when you travel through an airport, as you're going through security, as it were, that security scanner isn't just a magnetometer to see if you're carrying a gun. It's also got a little, a little temperature thing that measures your temperature. Those of you watching on TV, you can see I'm holding a little thing here that looks kind of like a radar gun. And we, I bought this on Amazon for 20 bucks. And I can point this, and it's got a little laser pointer on it, and I can point it at my forehead. I'm not going to put it in my eye, but... I can put it on my forehead, and it will tell me that the temperature of my forehead right now is 94.2 degrees. 
So I can extrapolate from that. You know, if that's the average of people's foreheads, you could say, well, I don't have a fever. So think about this for a minute. I was having, uh, Louise and I were having dinner with two of our grandchildren last night. And one's in middle school, the other's in high school. And I'm like, uh, do you have security guards at your schools? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, schools have security guards, right? So why don't you have that security guard who's supposed to be checking kids for guns and stuff? Why don't you just have them stand at the front door and very quickly measure the temperature of every kid coming in? And if anybody has a fever, send them home. I mean, that's the first sign of a coronavirus infection is a fever. Why don't we do this in our airports? China is doing this in their airports. You can't get on an airplane in China if you have a fever. All you'd have, I mean, this thing costs $20 on Amazon. I mean, every time I go through airport security, there's like a half a dozen people standing around at the TSA, you know, check line, waiting for the moment when somebody says, I need somebody to frisk somebody. Or bag alert. Well, while they're standing around there, why don't they be pointing these infrared measuring devices at people's foreheads and saying, hey, wait a minute, buddy, you got a, you've got a fever. You should probably go home instead of getting on this airplane. And I'm not even saying that, you know, you must. But anyway. Meanwhile, we've got a Democratic primary coming up, but it's going to be a big deal. I don't know how this is going to play out. It's going to be real interesting. I do think that tomorrow is going to be make it or break it for Bernie. Sunday is the debate where we get to see Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders one-on-one -on -one for an hour or two. And that's, if that happens, it's going to be real interesting and real illuminating, particularly given that Donald Trump has already started running ads on Facebook of Joe Biden's, shall we say, flubs. You know, where he kind of seems to forget what he's talking about in the middle of a sentence or rambles on about the curly hairs on his legs and stuff. I mean, they're actually, the Trump campaign has put, uh, presumably, I mean, they're spending a million dollars on Facebook on these ads. So presumably a, a chunk of that is going on these particular ads. I retweeted a couple of them yesterday by way of saying, I am concerned about this. What shall we do? What can we do? How do we get ahead of this? Nobody tweeted back to me a what I thought was a useful response. And so I deleted the tweets this morning, I just, you know, because I don't want to seem like I'm retweeting Trump's crap on the one hand. On the other hand, I do think that, well, you know, I, my position will be, and I, and I said this actually, somebody, somebody said, wait a minute, are you trying to tell me that you're so loyal to the Democratic Party that if it turns out that Joe Biden is getting senile, you'll still vote for him? And my answer was yes. If he's the nominee, yeah, absolutely. You know, Dwight Eisenhower had a heart attack and was, was, didn't run the country for almost a year. Woodrow Wilson had a stroke. Franklin Roosevelt was, was out his last year. He was, having, he was having a crisis. In the last two years of his presidency, Ronald Reagan wasn't there. We've got to stop this salvationist thinking. I've gone on those rants before that, you know, the, that one person is going to save us. No. What you're looking at with Trump, yes, you've got an incompetent guy in the White House. But what he has done is he has staffed the entire federal bureaucracy with either incompetence or empty chairs, literally empty chairs. A third of the civilian positions in the Pentagon are right now empty, unfilled. I mean, if somebody told Trump, listen, I want you to take apart the American government, dismantle it and destroy it so badly that America will be unprepared for, for a major crisis. If somebody had told Trump to do that, he couldn't have done a better job. So, you know, even if Joe Biden can't string together a coherent sentence, and, and I'm assuming that, you know, he can actually, I, you know, we all have bad days. But even if he can't, I trust that he would staff the government with competent people and we could get back to something resembling normalcy. I mean, I would prefer a progressive revolution, but I'll take normal too. And I think most Americans will. So anyhow, that's coming up. Oh, I didn't finish my rant about these forehead scanning um, temperature measurers, right? This is not designed 
specifically to take your temperature. This is designed, I mean, I, I can measure the temperature of the wall over there. It's 72.1 degrees, that wall. That's what it's designed for. But there are other ones that are also 20 bucks that are specifically, they, they do the internal math and say, okay, if your forehead is 94.3 degrees, that means that your body temperature is 98.6. And it displays body temperature, even though it's looking at your forehead. So anyhow, you know, number one, I was saying, why isn't TSA doing this? Number two, why aren't we having our security guards in our schools do this? But let's, let's extend that. You know, we, I said we had dinner last night with our kids. And uh, we went out to a restaurant because it's re it was restaurant week in Portland and the reservation was made like a month ago. And so, okay, we'll do this. But generally speaking, Louise and I are not going out to restaurants anymore. In fact, we're not going out anywhere anymore unless we have to. And it's not that I'm panicking or freaked out, and I don't think you should be. It's because as long as we have an incompetent administration and we have no test kits, we don't have a friggin' clue what's going on. Oregon actually has a daily newsletter that they're sending out that from the Oregon Health Department. I signed up for it last week. Yesterday, we, we got seven new coronavirus cases. The day before, it was four new cases. The day before that, it was three new cases here in Oregon, just in the state of Oregon. And they're scattered all over the place. And they seem to be either people who had contact with somebody who was known to have it, or people who were just, several of them, I think it was seven of them, were just people who flew domestically. Well, how did that happen? I'm taking care of myself, and I'm washing my hands a lot. So, you know, because I, I was flying domestically a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, before I handle a doorknob, when I leave here to go to the bathroom or something, I'm going to squirt some Purell on my hands so that I'm not endangering Sean and Nate in the event, right? And if I get a fever, I'm, I'm going to be doing this show from home, or somebody else will be in here doing it on my, you know, in my behalf. But to extend this, when we went into that restaurant last night to have dinner, and I realized maybe it would have freaked out people. It would have reassured me. If the maitre d' at that restaurant had said, let me check your forehead temperature. How about at the hotel that I checked into, you know, last week in Chicago at the airport? The guy could have checked my temperature. Bing! I mean, he could have just had a device that was inconspicuous behind him that would tell him my temperature. How about office buildings starting to do this? We have security people. I mean, we don't need to rely on Donald. I realize I'm sounding like a, like a Republican here. <laughs> There are, there are solutions in the private sector. Or do you think that I'm being hysterical? Do you think that I'm, you know, way out there? If Trump won't take care of us, if Trump, you know, if our federal government is so incompetent, they can't even figure out who has this disease and who doesn't, maybe we should start taking care of ourselves. This is the Tom Hartman Program. At least until we get someone competent in the White House. Ken in Olympia, Washington. Hey, Ken. What's up? Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm going online, and I'm seeing a lot of Sanders supporters stating vehemently that they will only vote for him. If he's not the nominee, they will not vote, or uh, certainly they will not vote for Biden. I have seen How one person say that on Twitter in the last two oh, days, and that person had three followers and one tweet. I'm pretty sure it was a brand-new bot. Are you seriously hearing this from yes. people? I mean, nobody has. Actually, we had one guy call into the show to say that last week. And again, he was a brand new caller, may well have been a Republican troll. I'm not so worried about that, Ken. I think that the vote out there, yeah, you're probably going to lose some young people and you're probably going to get a lot of young people who are, and it's not just young people, you're probably going to get some, some Bernie supporters who, if Bernie isn't the nominee, are going to you know, loudly complain. And they may not have voted anyway. Or, you know, maybe they're not going to vote. But I think that the turnout, if Biden is the nominee, and yeah, he's sort of promising, same old, same old. I still think that people view Trump as an existential threat. I hope you're right. Cause I feel it's more extensive than you seem to have perceived it. But my fingers are crossed. Yeah. Just in case I'm correct, could you give some talking points to people who might share my thought about the risk of them not voting? Yeah, if you don't vote, you're going to end up with Donald Trump for another four years. On this time, he will not feel constrained. It will be the end of American democracy. How's that? Yeah, that's fascinating. 
powerful. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I believe that to be true. I mean, you know, this is not an yeah. overstatement. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ken. Good to hear from you. Susan in Snellville, Georgia. Hey, Susan, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. How are you? So far, so good. <laughs> what's what's yeah, up? Yeah, me too. Uh, resisting every day, resisting. Mm. I'm calling to kind of make a statement and to inform your listeners to please join a Remove Trump group. I do not believe that we are going to have an election. I believe that Trump is using the coronavirus to his benefit so that he can try to deter some of the election and the, the pre-election, the rallies and everything going on uh, for the Democrats and so forth. I think he's going to use that to his advantage. And I think that it would behoove all of Americans, all of Democrats, to take these five groups or so and some civil rights activists, get a large group of people similar to the Million Man March, and let's take over D.C. because that's the only way you can remove a fascist and a dictator is to take to the streets because they're not going to let us have a fair election. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out, Susan, and there's no doubt in my mind that if he tries to pull something, you know, America will push back. But, you know, that said, Trump trying to use this, there, there's, you know, I read some stuff online over the weekend about how, you know, Trump is going to say, oh, the coronavirus, you know, uh, don't go to the polls, don't, you know, thinking that'll suppress right. the vote. But this isn't like the AIDS epidemic in the 80s, where Reagan could just marginalize gay people and ignore them and let them die. This thing, you've got, you, you know, 10 Cruz is in quarantine right now because he shook right. somebody's hand at CPAC. The head of the New York and New Jersey Port Authority is actually sick with coronavirus right now. This hits Republicans. In fact, it's right now at the political level. You've got two Republican politicians. Ted Cruz is one. I don't recall the name of the other one. He's one, a congressman who are both in quarantine. I don't know if it was CPAC or APAC, but, but one of those things. And uh, so I don't think it's going to cut that way. Susan, thanks for the call. Andrea in Tallahassee, Florida, you wanted to talk about the Democratic primary. Yes. Hi, Tom. Hi, Andrea. Longtime listener, longtime fan. Thank you. And I really, really do enjoy listening to your show. But I got to tell you, it has been a little difficult as of late because of some of your listeners, particularly, not necessarily you, but I don't know. I'm feeling as a Southern black woman, somewhat disrespected by the Bernie Sanders supporters and the electorate writ large. And let me disqualify this, first of all, by saying I voted for Mr. Sanders in 2016 in the primaries, mm -hmm. even against the counsel of my own mama, who, too, is a Southern black woman or was. She has since passed on. And uh, the 2016 primary was actually the last election she got to vote in. Mm -hmm. I remember having a back and forth with her about Sanders versus Clinton, and her exact words to me were, you know, baby, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, I've lived through a lot, I've seen a lot, and I hear, you know, a lot of what, you know, your, your guy is saying, but I just really don't see how he practically is going to get that done. Mm. He's got to work with people. Mm. And, you know, here's somebody who knocked on doors, registered people to vote during the 60s, and, and and it's her wisdom and it's under her guidance that I grew into the person that I am now. And I take a lot of respect and I have a lot of deference to older black people who hold similar views. Mm -hmm. And it, quite frankly, offends a lot of people. And I think people need to understand this. When you hear Bernie Sanders up there talking about, oh, the establishment is out to get me. I'm sorry, but those old Southern black people in South Carolina who turned out the way that they did for, for Joe Biden and will turn out the way that they I know they will in Florida, which is where I live, um, in this part of Florida particularly, North Florida, very conservative, very church-going, very rural. I'm not seeing where he's really reaching out to us. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not enough to just harp on, you know, the socioeconomic differences which, true, are inextricably a lot of times linked with race. But there are some things that working-class white people just are never going to have to deal with because they're not black. Yep. And I just do not hear him speak to that as much. And the way to, you know, get people like me in, you, you once had me, but now you've lost me, is not to insult us by conflating us and calling us a part of the establishment. 
I mean, it, it just comes across as whining and sour grapes to a lot of us. I agree with you. And, so. I think, and I think that Bernie has made a huge strategic blunder over the last several months by basically creating this us-them mentality. He should have been talking about how he wants to get his Medicare for All and his free college done, how he wants to work with people you know, like Jim Clyburn and the quote Democratic establishment, rather than calling them the Democratic establishment and demonizing them, that may play well with some 20 year olds. But right. I think with the majority of Americans, it is hurting him. And I think that we saw that on Super Tuesday. And this is a conversation that I fully intend to have with the guy who's the president of our revolution, Larry Cohen, who's gonna be on the program in about a half hour. So I completely completely get what you're saying, Andrea. And as a Bernie Sanders supporter, who's also a Joe Biden supporter, I mean, you know, who, who vote blue no matter who, whoever our nominee is. But, um, you know, I've, I've been with Bernie for a lot of years and I know him. I know him well. And, and I love him. I mean, you know, as both as a human being, he's one of the finest human beings I've ever met and and as a politician. But I think that uh, either his instincts or the instincts of his advisors, Jeff Weaver and the people around him, to go on the attack when he, instead he should be talking about how he's going to build this and make this happen, have not served him well and have hurt him. And you've, got, yeah, go and you've got people like Michael Moore saying South Carolina is not really America. Yeah, but, that's, you know, yeah, that's a mistake. Is. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this is it's time to stop the divisive rhetoric and time to start talking about inclusion. Andrea, thank you. That was so eloquent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. So, Tim in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Hey, Tim, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I should preface my remarks by saying that my bumper sticker says, any functioning adult in 2020. Right. So, uh, we definitely do not have not one a, in the White a House. right-wing wacko, but yeah. one, one of the big winners on Super Tuesday was United Healthcare. Yeah. Their stock hit a 10-year high. Yeah, it went up 14%, Wednesday. didn't it? Something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So on this is the day that a lot of, well, the majority of exit polls showed that voters still say that health care is the number one issue. And that's why even if, Joe, it, it, even if Joe Biden is the, the nominee, likely, I don't think he's going to be able to resist this, Tim, especially with, yeah. a, with an epidemic on his hands it would be a good time to have medicare for all wouldn't it it would it would and i think this is becoming increasingly obvious and and this is why a you know i mean there's still a good chance that bernie sanders will be the party's nominee it's it's probably a little less than 50 percent but there's still a chance and a solid one but if joe biden is the party's nominee and he becomes president of the united states in 2020 or 2021 gets sworn in in january 2021 I think the pressure on him, whether he wants to stick with the insurance companies and, and Obamacare or not, the pressure on him to go at the very least at the beginning of public option, but even larger to go all in on Medicare for all is going to be overwhelming. I believe that we are within the next four to five years going to have Medicare for all in the United States, regardless of who is the nominee. I hope you're right, Tom. Yeah, I, I hope you're right, because I needed somebody to talk me down today. Yeah. Because it's so frustrating. Every yeah. four years we go through this. No, I, I get it. But times are changing and they're changing rapidly. And they are changing in large part because of the candidacies of Bernie Sanders four years ago and this year. I mean, he has truly changed the conversation in this country. God bless him for it. Tim, thanks for the call. We'll be right back. Martha in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hey, Martha, what's on your mind today? Well, I'm hoping you can clear up some confusion. I've always assumed that the establishment referred to the, uh, you know, the people in charge, be it in the political arena or in the corporate world. However, it was confusing when you agreed with the lady who called in saying that she felt she was the establishment. I didn't think that referred to the uh, the general populace. So perhaps you could clear up that confusion. One of the hits on Bernie has been that 
when he says the, he's, he's got the establishment against him, again, a certain amount of pearl clutching here going on. Some folks have said, oh, he's talking about Jim Clyburn. And Bernie, Don Rachel said, you know, I have political disagreements with Jim Clyburn. He, Jim Clyburn is not an advocate of Medicare for all, for example, but he's a good man, right? But that that somehow, by Bernie saying that he was going up against the establishment, that he was going up against, you know, the Black Caucus or African-American politicians or something like that, you know, I think that that's overwrought and overblown. But generally speaking, I think when Democrats refer to the Democratic establishment, they're talking about members of the Democratic Party who are, you know, basically part of the old boy network of the lobbyists and the corporations and, and you know, the lobbyist funded politicians and things like that, as opposed to the people who are outside the establishment, which is mostly the members of the Progressive Caucus, whose campaigns are funded by individual donations from people you know, uh, online and things like that. Does that make sense, Martha? So we're really not talking about individuals such as me I, or anyone else. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think so. I, and, and I think that she was referring, although I, she's not here to speak, and, and I hate putting words in other people's mouths, but my, what I believed she was saying was that, you know, she was echoing that, that attack on Bernie that when he attacks the establishment, he's also attacking, uh, you know, a number of black politicians who, I mean, to say that a black politician is a member of the establishment, even if they're taking money from lobbyists, after black politicians were kept out of American politics for 200 years. And to this day, I mean, even James Clyburn has probably been stopped by the police, you know, recently. I mean, it's just, I mean, I have no idea specifically, but we've had black legislators who have been stopped by the cops just because they were driving while black, you know. So to just use that word establishment in a kind of dismissive way is, I think offensive to a lot of people, and that's why I think that Bernie needs to back off that. Now, that said, and Martha, thank you for the call. That said, I want to share with you a conspiracy theory that I heard from Rush Limbaugh, oddly enough, that I thought was just fascinating. And what basically, this is my, my version of Limbaugh's conspiracy theory. His was highly simplified from this, but basically, here's how it goes. When Trump came into the Republican Party, he was an outsider. And the Republican Party was, by and large, an insider kind of establishment clique, well-funded by industry and all that kind of stuff. And Trump came in, and he started kicking out the establishment and replacing established politicians, the Jeff Flakes and the Bob Corkers and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and all these guys who just resigned rather than even tried to deal with the primary, started replacing them all with populist Trump toadies. And then this was not just limited to the Republican Party. This then went to Fox News. And on Fox News, the hosts who had embraced Trump populism and rejected establishment Republican politics came up to the top of Fox News, and the ones who were still embracing establishment Republican politics, people like Shep Smith, got fired and, and were out. And so what Limbaugh was saying is essentially that's what you're seeing in the Democratic Party right now, that the Democratic establishment, as it were, and not just in the party, but also on MSNBC, that these folks, and again, this is Rush Limbaugh's conspiracy theory. I don't necessarily subscribe to it, but I find it fascinating that, that those folks are thinking if Bernie Sanders becomes president, he will start in, you know, helping the AOCs of the world and the Mark Pocans of the world, the, the outsiders, as it were, the populists, the progressives. He'll start helping them and stop helping institutionally through the Democratic Party, because he will become head of the Democratic Party, stop helping the guys who have been basically funneling, you know, United Healthcare money through the DNC into their campaigns and things. And so they will start losing primaries to people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and that there's a lot of people, a lot of, quote, establishment figures of the Democratic Party who are thinking if, if Bernie becomes the president, that's the end of their political career. Just like when Trump became president, it was the end of Bob Corker and Jeff Flake's political career. 
And then Limbaugh extends that and says, and you've got, you know, he, he specifically said Chuck Todd. He said, and then you've got Chuck Todd and all those guys on MSNBC who are part of that same Democratic establishment and taking, you know, making big bucks from big corporations. And they're concerned that if Bernie becomes the, pres the president, the head of the Democratic Party, that what will happen is that the establishment figures on MSNBC, and particularly the old Republicans on MSNBC, you know, the, the Nicole Wallace's and Joe Scarborough's, they'll get kicked out and they'll get replaced by a new generation of progressives. Jean-Pierre, what's her name? I'm forgetting her name. She's, she's just a brilliant progressive on, on MSNBC. Corinne Jean-Pierre, thank you. Arguably even Joy Reid. And others, I mean, you, you've got this over on CNN, you've got Van Jones, you've got a progressive over there. Well, suddenly there's going to be a lot more Van Joneses and a whole lot fewer of the kind of John Kings. Again, this was Rush Limbaugh's conspiracy theory, and he, and he presents this as this is why MSNBC and CNN are attacking Bernie Sanders, and it's also why the political figures who are, quote, establishment Democrats, you know, like Claire McCaskill and, and onward, have been attacking Bernie Sanders. At the level of conspiracy theory, or really even at the level of systems theory, it makes a certain amount of sense, but I really doubt that any of these people are sitting around explicitly thinking like this, although that may be the way things would play out. It's an interesting thought experiment, if nothing else. Anyhow, back to your calls. Tim in Tonka Bay, Minnesota. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, how are you? Thanks again for your video for our Lake Minnetonka Living Liberally group. That oh, you you're did welcome. I'm, on I'm, glad it, I'm glad it was well-received. Yeah, it went well, and we sold a boatload of books. The uh, Yesterday morning, we called the state of Minnesota to ask if we could do a, re a recount on the presidential primary. And the gal that I talked to said, well, I'll have to check on it. And she checked with her lawyers, and she said it is illegal, not permitted, to do a recount on the Minnesota primary. A bunch of us just don't buy the fact that Biden won in Minnesota. Hmm. So we have now contracted with the ACLU to go ahead and sue the state of Minnesota to demand that we are able to do a recount. Oh, that's fast. And who knows if the results are different, but like you said, it's a... The ultimate weapon of mass deception, and we we want to make sure that vote was true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have any evidence that there was anything hanky panky going on? Well, I just no. I, but I we just don't buy the fact that Biden swept Minnesota when yeah. it was so strong. I wouldn't discount Amy Klobuchar's endorsement and 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 four days of just nonstop praise for him on MSNBC. But who knows? Tim, keep us up to date, You're please. Listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. 
Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On the line with us is our old friend Larry Cohen. Larry uh, was the president of the Communication Workers of America. In fact, I think one of the very first times he came on our show was in that role as president of uh, one of the nation's largest unions. He is now the chair of the board of directors of Our Revolution and the board chair of Dem the Democracy in Initiative. He's also a, uh, a member of the Democratic National Committee and uh, I believe is on the Rules Committee. Is that right, uh, Larry? For the uh, convention coming up. Convention. There you go. Thank convention you. Rules. Yep. And, uh, and and a close friend of Bernie Sanders, and of course our revolution was started by Bernie's. So Elizabeth Warren just dropped out of the race. She has not endorsed anybody yet, but she has said that she's going to continue the fight for Medicare for all, for free college education. I'm not quoting her verbatim, but the the essence of what she said. And for you know cleaning up our banksters and our systems and whatnot, what are your thoughts? And and uh, I don't know if you had a conversation with anybody in the Sanders campaign. You know, he's a great leader. I've worked with her for years and couldn't say enough positively about her. I think all the groups that are supporting Bernie will be echoing that uh, as we discuss it later. I think that Bernie did speak to her. And apparently, so did uh, Vice President Biden. Obviously, we all hope that she will support Bernie, but she did make it clear in the statement in front of her house that uh, she wouldn't be endorsing anybody now or for several days. Mm -hmm. Do you, at this point in time, given the number of delegates we have, let me pull up uh, 580, 530, whatever it is, <laughs> the uh, eight, real clear eight, politics, eight. yeah, that uh, right now Biden is 596, Sanders 531. We still don't have the full count from California. I think there's uh, still 79 out to be counted. But is there still a solid path to the White House for Bernie Sanders? Absolutely. I think the next two weeks are critical. Michigan and Washington State on Tuesday are particularly critical because of their size in Michigan, not only the size, but also the importance of that state in the general election. So we're looking at turnout, particularly from Detroit, Wayne County. But there's definitely a path, as you just said, the number of the delegate separation is minuscule and it's forward ever for the Bernie campaign and for the groups like ours that are supporting him. Yeah. Lee Fong is somebody I've known for years. He's a, a reporter now with The uh, Intercept. But he used to be with uh, Center for American Progress, uh, you know, left when that kind of went a little more co more corporate than a lot of their reporters were comfortable with. He just put together a Twitter thread the other day about Bernie's campaign um, that I broadly agree with, and I'd like to get your take on it. He said the spike in voter turnout in the midterms uh, came almost entirely from moderate suburbs. This would be in 2018, a trend that continues now in these primaries. These voters prioritize a return to civility and normalcy. They don't see the U.S. as fundamentally corrupt. And therefore, and then he goes on to say, Bernie's campaign, for some reason, leaned into the activism brand 
And this does not appeal to the normie, uh, as in, you know, normal Democratic voter over Biden, whose core image was a nice bipartisan guy who likes ice cream at Obama. Bernie's number one challenge in this campaign was not to be pigeonholed as an angry activist, but as someone who could work alongside Obama and arguably even work with Republicans and moderate Democrats to get things done as a statesman. Instead, uh, Lee Fong says, he went in the opposite direction and fell into the Corbin trap. The, came, the, the campaign seemed like it was critically wounded by Hillary's 2016 smear campaign and spent much of the time defending socialism and doing everything they could to prove that they weren't all white Bernie bros, a complete waste of time. And I would add, I, I have been saying on this program for, well, for a year now, that Bernie needs to be talking about completing the New Deal and the Great Society rather than talking right. about Finland and Denmark. And I'm just wondering, you know, if you think I'm crazy on this, you know, what the campaign thinks about this. Talk me off the ledge here, Larry. Yeah, no, well, I mostly agree with, with I totally agree with you and somewhat with Lee. The one thing I would disagree with is I think the campaign has shown enormous support among Latinx voters all across the country. Secondly, if you compare South Carolina at this time and last time, much bigger number of African-American voters. The difference here is what's happened in the last six days in terms of the attacks on Bernie, not just the unity around Biden, but how those folks, um, you know, are basically giving an anti-Bernie message. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, uh, and it's been all over the media. I mean, I've, I've been almost daily criticizing CNN and particularly MSNBC, you know, with all these Republican commentators that they have given shows to, you know, Joe Scarborough and Nicole Wallace and whatnot, right. and people like Claire McCaskill, who never met a lobbyist she didn't want to take money from, who have just been viciously attacking Bernie. Uh, Chris Matthews That's as well, right. he, uh, you know, he's gone now. But all that said, it seemed to me like the way to respond to that would not be, oh my God, you're attacking me, I'm going to attack you back. The way to respond to that would be, you know, I can work with everybody else, you know, we can make this happen together. I think absolutely. That's what he needs to sound like and be like, especially when you're this close to the nomination, which he is. And I would use your frame. He does use it. He doesn't stick on it. Mm -hmm. uh, FDR, great society. That's the path I'm in. The notion of reform is as old as this country itself. And, you know, I'm a reformer. And yes, we need a political revolution in terms of voting rights and money and politics and other structural legacies from slavery in the 18th century, but I'm a reformer, and that's a that's a hallowed tradition in this country. It always has been. That's what makes this country great. Yeah, I mean, I had a call this morning from from an African American woman who was saying that she voted for Bernie in 2016, but this time she's voting for Joe, Joe Biden because it just all seems so divisive. And I, you know, and I again, I get it, and I'm and I'm par probably paraphrasing her badly, but I mean, apologies to that caller. I'm sorry, I don't recall her name. And I realize that a lot of that. Uh, pugilism, you know, that that you know, fists <laughs> up is not so much coming from Bernie. It's been coming out of the media, and if it was directed at me, I would have a really hard time not responding in a way that was angry. But I hope that we can move together and and that our revolution. Now, you and I had a conversation a, a few weeks ago about uh, Warren's impact on the election and going into the convention. You know whether this would be a good thing or a bad thing for Bernie. I'm curious. I guess you know I started out by asking you what you thought her leaving the race means. Where does this leave? But more broadly, where does this leave the progressives? who are worried that, you know, I hear I was just a minute ago criticizing Bernie for being confrontational, I guess would be a, a soft word. Um, I'm very, very concerned that Joe Biden has performed so badly in the debates. He seems to have a, a difficult time holding multiple thoughts in his head at one time. You know, he does great with a teleprompter, but when it comes to answering a question that has multiple pieces to it, he, he, uh, he'll bail. He'll say, oh, I'm out of time or whatever. I'm concerned that when he debates Bernie, he's going to look bad. And if he debates Trump, it's going to be a problem. I guess there's not a question there. I, that's just, these are my concerns right now. And, and you know, what, what are your thoughts on this? And, and how can we how can we all work together to support both these guys, Bernie and Joe Biden, as well as the eventual nominee? I don't want to wound either one of them, frankly. Yeah, I think that is a fine line when you have this kind of now binary choice. And, you know, March 15th, uh, before very big primaries in Illinois and Florida and Ohio, you know, is the next debate. It'll just be the two of them up there. So I think that is difficult. So I think that the key would be that part of what Bernie sounds like is, 
when I am the nominee, I will work with you, Joe, to unite both wings of this party, and we will figure out together how to do that. And now, if I was advising Biden, I would say the same thing. He's done a terrible job in terms of unity, grossly exaggerating the cost, when in fact, huge savings to Medicare for all, uh, loving to call Bernie a revolutionary when Bernie's talking about a political revolution in terms of issues, ideas, the structure of the democracy in this country. And, you know, Biden needs to tone down the rhetoric as much as Bernie does. And uh, I think Bernie will do that. Um, But I think it's not just the rhetoric. They need to talk about power sharing, Mm -hmm. as as we have discussed in terms of AMLO in Mexico or elsewhere. It's going to take real power sharing to convince the combined electorate of these candidates and beyond to turn out in Wayne County, Detroit, and Philadelphia, where I grew up, and Milwaukee, so that uh, we can beat Trump in the Electoral College. Yeah. Do you think that there is a chance that, like AMLO did in Mexico, where he, I mean, the turning point for him in that election came when he announced his his uh, cabinet, basically, and they started operating as a shadow cabinet and making public you know, speeches about, here's what I'll do when I'm human, Health and Human Services Secretary. you think there's any chance that the Sanders campaign might do something like that? Well, I think that's the kind of conversation he had with Senator Warren. Mm -hmm. Not so much, will you support me, but how do we work together? And then I think your points on that are absolutely spot on. And he needs to go even further. He needs to eliminate this notion that he's on the fringe and instead say, no, this will be a joint effort and together we can do this. It's black and white. It's it's working in middle class people. It's from every part of the country. And we can do this. And here's what it will look like. So right. it's not just the words, it's here's what it would look like. Yeah. Well, let's let's hope that going forward we can avoid the nastiness that we saw in the Clinton Sanders year, you know, five years ago, four years ago, and that we can pull all this together. By the way, the, the AMLO stuff I got from our uh, our listener, Nicholas, down in Mexico, just to give credit where credit is due, and, and uh, he's been singing that song for a while, and I think he's spot on. Larry Cohen, the uh, board chair of Our Revolution, the board chair of the Democrat, the Democracy Initiative, past president of the CWA, uh, Our Revolution is his Twitter handle, and Our Revolution, of course, the website, and also a member of the DNC and on the rules committee for the convention so you know a guy who's got a lot to say and and uh larry thanks so much for dropping by today and sharing your thoughts always always a pleasure good to be with you thank you thank you my friend uh we will be back with more uh, more news of the day and your calls in just a moment this is the tom hartman program there's a lot of news stick around Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. NetSuite.com slash Hartman. That's NetSuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, Andrew in Windsor, California. Hey, Andrew, what's on your mind? I saw that you uh, reported on Elizabeth Warren's campaign suspension. Mm -hmm. And um, putting my pro-Warren biases aside, what do you think about her candidacy reemerging during a brokered convention as the best compromise of Biden and and Bernie? And I'll take your answer off the air. Okay, thank you, Andrew. I think she is a, a great compromise between Biden and Bernie. Um, she uses the language of capitalism, but she advocates the, the democratic socialist policies that Bernie has, has been advocating all along. I, I think the probability of a brokered convention throwing the nomination to somebody other than uh, Joe or Bernie is probably close to zero percent. Um, I just I just don't see that happening. Um, that that's the kind of thing that happened in the smoke filled rooms way back in the Harry Truman's day. In fact, Harry Truman was the result of one of those kind of brokered conventions. But um, we don't have the smoke filled rooms anymore. We don't have the kingmakers anymore. Um, so I just I just don't see it happening. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Becky in North Berwick, Maine. Hey, Becky, what's on your mind today? Well, I had heard. Um James Carville speaking after the Super Tuesday, um, and he he had said something about Bernie should just get out of the race. That the uh, donors he was scaring the corporate donors off. Right. So, what good is our small donation to a progressive candidate if every single time they're going to do something to him like this? James Carville should not be on television. I mean, you know, James Carville has been spreading uh, basically what I believe, what I would characterize as hate and poisoned and poison. Well, um, you know, go ahead. I saw there was like two weeks straight period, even on The View. All it was was Bernie bashing for two straight weeks. Oh, I know. I, I think that's one of the reasons why Joe did so well in the primary in the Super Tuesday. So what, what's, you know, how do you fight back against that? Because these corporations want to keep their tax cuts. And, you know, my lousy 300 to Bernie and 200 to Elizabeth Warren don't, don't mean squat. Well, actually, they do mean a lot of squat. I mean, without those small donations, Bernie and Warren uh, and, and Liz Warren would not be where they are. They, they never would have had anything, you know, going on. And what they have done is they have demonstrated that there is a different way to do politics in America. It's just that, you know, we need to stop listening to the, to the doomsayers, the, the Carvilles of the world, who, who are saying that the only way to do politics is to take big bucks from large corporations and sell your soul and, and uh you know, start electing populists, and it's happening. It may not happen in this election cycle. It may not happen in this presidential cycle, but it's happening in the House of Representatives. You have almost 100 members of the Progressive Caucus now in, in, in the U.S. House, and I think Bernie's still a member. He was one of the founding members of that caucus. Um, I just, you know, I think it's, it's, it's going, uh, going forward, Becky. Don't, don't despair. Don't give up. No matter what happens, please, don't despair and don't give up. Becky, thank you for the call. Jim in Lompoc, California. Hey, Jim, what's up? Hey, Tom. I was listening to a caller, Andrea, who called in uh, and saying that she's lost faith with Bernie, thinking he's being too aggressive and that, you know, he's wrong to talk about the Democratic establishment being against him. I don't agree with that at all. I just think that Bernie has had the gloves on the entire time and the Democratic establishment has been against and attacking Bernie since before 2016. Oh, yeah. to anyone but Bernie movement when Klobuchar, Buttigieg, Bloomberg, they all drop out just so they can endorse Biden. 
and it's the whole corporate establishment, including the the Democratic elites, who are against Bernie, and Bernie has been the nice one, and the whole corporate press has been against him the whole time. Yeah, to a large extent. Yes, I I agree. Although I do think that he that he he needs to talk less about revolution and more about completing the New Deal. That's that's my frame. Jim, thanks for the call. Charles in Huntington, West Virginia. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind? Yeah, if Biden gets the nomination, Trump will hammer him over his role promoting the war in Iraq. You're right. You're right. And, and, and a few other things as well. You know, Trump will go after him for supporting the bankruptcy bill in 2005 that made it impossible for young people to discharge their student loan debt through bankruptcy. Uh, you know, he'll yeah. go after him for the crime bill back in the day, even though Biden has essentially apologized for that. Um, you know, they're, they're, and, and, and now Burisma, this is, this is insane. Um, Lindsey Graham today said that uh, if you're going to run for president and you're in charge of the Ukrainian anti-corruption campaign as vice president, your son of the city in the most corrupt country in the company in the country while you're trying to clean up the country, yeah, that will come up in the election. And Senator Ron Johnson says that he, he's on the Senate Judiciary Committee. He said, we are going to start holding hearings into Burisma and, and Hunter Biden. So count on it. It's coming. Yeah. That doesn't mean that yeah. Joe Biden's going to lose to Donald Trump, but this is going to be Donald Trump's Hail Mary. Uh, Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Hey, good morning, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. It was really good seeing you and hearing you. Powell's, oh, thank uh, you. Thanks for out. showing up, Jeff. Yeah, they sold out of your new book, but I, I did get a copy, a signed copy of The Crash of 2016. So cool. thanks again. And mm-hmm. yeah, well, wow, what a difference a week has made politically. Yep. And that's why I'm calling on the TV covers Tuesday night amidst all the cheerleading for Biden, I did hear over here at least one objective comment. I think it may have been David Puff or Robert Gibbs. I'm not sure. But someone said, hey, if this is a baseball game, we're only at the end of the fourth inning. Joe Biden just had a hell of a fourth inning, but there's still a lot of baseball left to be played. So continuing with that metaphor, Tom, I might even say it's getting close to the last three innings. But this coming Tuesday and the following Tuesday are going to be crucial. So I believe Bernie has a choice to make. Does he just keep swinging away as he has been and hope for the best? Or does he recognize that the other team has made adjustments and to get the momentum back, Team Bernie may need to shake things up and add to our lineup? So number one, Tom, I like the idea that you've adopted of Bernie naming a shadow cabinet that reflects his ideals and respect for right. diversity. And I think Biden should do the same thing. You know, Let us know what, you know, what you're thinking. Sure. How you'd run the country and yep. with whom. And number two, I think really Bernie should say to Elizabeth Warren behind the scenes, I need your endorsement as soon as possible. She's got good infrastructure. I'm sure he has already said that to her. But here's the deal, if Bernie's team may persuade him to say, I'm going to make you, Elizabeth, my running mate. And right. you can have the opportunity to be the 21st century version of Francis Perkins. You'll be the architect and overseer of the, of the Green New Deal. If she somehow turns him down, despite that, you know, I think it's a JFK kind of offer. Uh, ask now what your country can do for yeah. you. What can you do for the country? I completely agree with you, Jeff. I think it would completely change the game if he was able to announce that his running mate was going to be Elizabeth Warren. You know, whether she's willing to go along with that or not. I don't know. And essentially, Rachel Maddow asked him that if he would consider her as a running mate. And he whiffed at that ball. And I thought he should have said, of course, I would. I, you know, I, I would consider her. You know, instead, he said, and, yeah, well, I'd consider her for many different positions in my administration yeah. or something like that. And I, and I was sitting there going, oh, but. Well, you know, it's not too late. He could he could have a change of, of mind. But if somehow Elizabeth turns him down, you know, maybe he could turn to Stacey Abrams or Kamala Harris to do that and yeah. get out on the campaign trail with him. I do think he needs to try and change the game. I'm guessing um, that Harris and Abrams are holding out for Joe Biden. That's my guess. You think so? You I think, think so? so. I do. Well, I think, you know, coincidentally, I think it was a couple of months ago on the show that you know, people were calling and saying that Bernie should reach out to Stacey Abrams and see if she'll be his VP. And then shortly thereafter, Biden, uh, it leaked that Biden actually did that. Right. So 
You know, maybe she turned Biden down. Uh, I mean, we don't we don't know. And we don't know if that was actually a true story or if it was just a trial balloon, you know, or was an attempt to get publicity by his campaign or, you know, we, we just don't know because it was never verified by Stacey Abrams herself. And Jeff, thanks for the call. Great minds think alike. I agree. We'll be back. Hey, did you know that Hillary Clinton actually won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Florida in the 2016 election? It's on page 92 of my new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. Nicholas in Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? Um, I'm actually calling you from Lexington, Kentucky, via a Mexican phone. Don't ask okay. me how that works. <laughs> This is so bizarre. Your previous caller, I think, just answered a quick question I had to you because people all over the Internet have been saying, have you listened to Tom Hartman? And he's been talking about what in the world? Tom's lost his mind if he's talking about me. It's always the other way around. I'm talking about you. But I think I think your caller just answered the question. Something about the uh, release of a cabinet. Yeah, I've said this a couple times, you know, over the last week or so that I think I've been traveling. Yeah, yeah, I I got this. I got this idea from you. I didn't know that Amlo had done it. You you were down in Mexico when he did, and I said, you know, Amlo announced his uh, shadow cabinet, and it it was a turning point for his political campaign. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Nicholas. And uh, and Bernie should do the same thing. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing I wanted to ask you, and I assume the answer is yes, you read, surely, Thomas Friedman's opinion piece in the New York Times about exactly this. No, I did not read that. I I tend not to read Friedman. He pisses me off so much that I I just... He does. He does me too. I have to regulate my blood pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, do I understand. He pissed me off too. I I nearly dropped the coffee I was drinking. The entire opinion piece was about the need to pick a cabinet and to announce it before the election. Wow. wow. The entire piece, well, I thought. I thought Tom probably just lost his coffee over there, yeah, too. Yeah, I'll have to go I was absolutely, out. I think he's listening to your program. Or somebody who advises him is, which is probably far more likely, but yeah. Could be. I mean, you know, sometimes he gets it so right and sometimes he gets it so wrong. Yep. You know, his whole uh, you know, Olive Tree and the Lexus thing just made me crazy. But he's a smart guy. And Nicholas, I got to move along. But thank you for the call. And uh, always good talking with you. Susan in Oroville, Washington. Hey, Susan, what's up? I'm just curious why they can't test for the coronavirus by just taking a smear preparation of sputum and look at it under a microscope. Because viruses are so small, unlike bacteria, you can't see them in a microscope. You'd have to use a scanning electron microscope, which is how we're getting these initial photographs of this virus. You know, that look like this little ball with all the little sucker cups around the edges of it. There is no microscope made that would allow you to see a virus, or at, at the very least, most, the vast majority of viruses. So, okay, you know, thank unfortunately. You for your yep, you're welcome. Thank you. And and my understanding is that these test kits aren't actually testing for the presence of the virus. They're testing for the presence of the antibodies, which are much larger molecules, therefore easily detected and and biologically active. The antibodies that our body produces in response to exposure to the virus. And that's that's typically, you know, how those kind of things are done. I believe that that's how the flu virus test is done also. It's not looking for the flu, it's looking for the antibodies, but but I I could be wrong on that one, so don't quote me. Anyhow, Mike in Napaville, Washington. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? Yeah, Tom, I was, uh, my wife found this site today. It's called uh, projects538.com, National Committee Endorsements. Hmm. I just tried to search. I think the fix is in. Yeah, I just tried to search for this, and I didn't, I'm not finding anything. Go over to Real Clear Politics, and you can look at their polls. Uh, it's a long URL. It's realclearpolitics.com slash epolls slash 2020 slash president slash democratic underscore delegate underscore count HTML. It's all right there. But, Mike, thanks a lot for the call. Dave in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind? Hey, yeah, I was just calling in. I feel like you've been a, a little tough on people who are afraid of the idea of socialism. And I, I was just going to see what you thought. I, I think that Bernie has been... Uh, victim of mismarketing, if anything. I mean, if, if he were to come out and say, hey, I want a stronger welfare state, I think people would be in favor of that. I think when you use the word socialism, people are scared, and probably rightfully so. I mean, the 
with the the hard traditional definition of socialism. Uh, I mean, Karl Marx he's interchangeably with communism in the Communist Manifesto. Uh, I know. Dave, I understand and I agree with you. And this is an absolute reality for anybody who's over 50. But when you poll people who are under 50, what you find is that they prefer the word socialism to the word capitalism. But I don't disagree. I mean, I, I think that Bernie would be in a much stronger position if he had never branded himself a socialist. But instead, like Elizabeth Warren or like Sherrod Brown had branded himself as simply a progressive, or in my opinion, I think the very best way he could brand himself would be to say that he's here to complete the work that Franklin Roosevelt started and he's going to finish the New Deal. That's how I think he should be marketing it. But I don't run Bernie's campaign. (laughs) You know, I mean, I had this conversation with Larry Cohen. I'm just saying when people when people call in and they're and they're scared of the idea of socialism, and of course you bring up well, you're on a socialist road and socialist this and that. Well, yeah. that's not necessarily what they're thinking in their mind. No, and, I know that. Kind of rightfully so. I know that, uh, and and I'm just yeah. I'm just trying to educate them and and trying to you know lower the temperature a little bit because uh, you know Bernie's not going to stop calling himself a democratic socialist, and Republicans well, are not going to stop calling him a socialist slash communist. So you know I've been trying to do some marginal education around the edges. But Dave, I get your point, and you said it very well. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 